trouble today. Uh, I'm going to take you someplace you've probably never gone before in church. I, I, I don't think we ever talked about this in our church before. And my guess is probably 90 plus percent of us have never talked about this topic in a church before. Uh, I want to talk about celebration. And what I want to do, though, is I want to try to redeem celebration from the bad reputation that uh, religion and partying have given celebration. And, in fact, celebration is so important. It, it, is, it is so the Bible is so full of the idea of celebration from beginning to end that it's surprising that we don't talk about it more. And I, we're talking about saying, yes, this series we're in during Lent is, uh, as Jay mentioned about last week, we're talking about how to say yes to transformation, how to say yes to God changing your life. And Lent often is associated with this idea of I'm going to give up something for Lent uh, like chocolate or, you know, some other, some other thing, which all that is is a form of fasting, which is an appropriate and important spiritual discipline. But it's not the only spiritual discipline. And if all you know about spiritual disciplines and the benefit that they give you, which they do provide amazing benefits, if all you know is that you've given up chocolate, you haven't even begun to scratch the surface of the change that God brings in your life when you practice spiritual disciplines consistently. Now, believe it or not, celebration is one of the central spiritual disciplines that we can use to change our lives. The spiritual disciplines bring us into contact with God's grace as we practice them. And so we started out a few weeks ago talking about uh, spiritual di disciplines generically and the spiritual discipline of fellowship. Then we talked about the spiritual discipline of submission then last week, Steve talked about the, the spiritual discipline of confession and confessing our sins to one another, which is a scary idea. But as, as Steve pointed out, I mean, it's, it's life-changing when you do it. And, I, and uh, by the way, next week, Jay's going to be talking about secrecy. And then the week after that, we're going to be talking about silence. Uh, and you may think both those things sound kind of, wow, I'm not sure there's anything that you can squeeze out of that that would be helpful. But I promise you, these are powerful practices that bring you into contact with God's grace and His presence and change your life. So let's, let's get into this. Uh, in the Gospel of John, chapter 2, there's a story. And it's one of those stories that people read and they just kind of puzzle over. So if you, if you have a Bible with you, open it to the Gospel of John. If you don't have a Bible in the, in the chair seats in front of you, uh, there are paperback Bibles, and you're welcome to, to use one. You're actually, you're welcome to take one home if you need a Bible. You know someone that needs a Bible. We are more than happy to uh, contribute those, those Bibles to somebody that needs them. Now, you also have a, an outline in your program. Anybody not get one of these? That it's, it'll track along with what we teach today. Okay. Hey, do, somebody do me a favor. And uh, on the lobby uh, table, there's some of those outlines. Bring them in, and, and we'll get you to raise your hand again. Sorry to make you feel uncomfortable doing that, but uh, this will help you track along with what we're talking about today. So let's read John chapter 2, verse 1. It's uh, Jesus' first miracle, and it happened at a wedding. 
So let's read this passage, then we'll pray. It says, On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me, Jesus said. My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. And nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing, each one holding from 20 to 30 gallons. So they're like the Jewish containers. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them up to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where he had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you've saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. So let's pray. Uh, Father, we just need uh, the Holy Spirit to help us, and we need the, the insight and illumination that, that he alone gives us. And so we, we look to you right now, and we, we open our hearts up to you to whatever degree we can on our own, and we look to you to cover us with your grace, speak your word to us, and, and take us on a journey uh, to change. We want to say yes to, to you changing us and growing us and making us more like your son, Christ. That'd be the greatest gift that, that anyone could experience. And so uh, use this, this study we do today towards that end in Christ's name. Amen. So, uh, the miracle is Jesus turned water into wine because they'd run out of wine. And in, in these uh, wedding celebrations, they lasted a week. They weren't like our afternoon wedding celebrations or if in New York it goes well into the night, if that's where you're from, New York City. They had a problem. And uh, the, uh, the bridegroom was responsible to provide wine to celebrate. And it had the to last for a whole week. And they invited as many people as possible to these events. They were a whole, whole villages would come. Hundreds of people would come. And so partway through the week, the wine ran out. At some point, we don't know what, uh, at what point in the week, but Jesus turned water into wine. Why would he do that? Have you ever read that and wondered, why did Jesus turn water into wine? Do they really need more wine? Some, I, I've asked that question myself. This actually is one of those miracles that Jesus did that people read it and go, this is strange. I mean, there's a lot of strange things in the Bible, but, and particularly people who have, like, like a lot of us, have been raised in Protestant contexts where alcohol is really frowned on. And, and many of us have been raised in, and we've seen the destructive misuse of alcohol, and it's appropriately frowned on, which the Bible encourages that perspective. Don't get drunk. It's a destructive practice. 
And so you wonder, is that what Jesus was doing here? What was this all about? Because this moment, it says, was so powerful. They saw God's glory in this in a, in a way that awakened faith in their hearts. And people believed in Jesus as a result of this miracle. Once you know, it became understood what had happened, that he had actually turned dozens of gallons of water into wine so that the, the event could go on. So why would he turn water into wine? Well, it's real simple. The, the text says he turned water into wine so the celebrating could go on. It's pretty straightforward. The party was going to stop. Jesus turned water into wine so the party could go on. Now, if celebrating wasn't important, Jesus wouldn't have done anything but say, serve them some water. Fill the water pots with water. Serve them water. But something happens in celebration that's important. And it's something that, that most of us have never appreciated. Now, there's something about celebrating that everyone in their heart knows. There's something good here. Because there's a human instinct to celebrate and have parties. Think of all the opportunities that we seize to celebrate. There's so many of them that you can, you can think of celebrating over every, any particular kind of life circumstance, and people have done it. Any, any circumstance in life, people have found a reason to have a party around that. And it's this, it just springs up from within us. But a lot, what, what partying, which is, which is a, a counterfeit version, well, I'm saying partying, you know, the kind of partying, drunken, carousing, crazy lifestyle that, that a lot of us engaged in for, for way too long in our adult lives, or maybe adolescence lives now, that, that gave us a bad taste for the appropriate kind of celebrating that the Bible talks about. And then religion frowns on anything that's fun and joyful and earthy. When I say earthy, like down to earth, because celebrating is earthy and down to earth. And religion is, just seems to cast a magnifying glass on this idea and, and burn it up. And one thing about religion is, religion is a vaccine for the real gospel. You know what a vaccine is? It's where you take a dead, empty version of something and you inject it into a human body and the, and the body builds up a tolerance against that. And religion has turned more people off to real faith and the, the truth of the gospel and our relationship with God than anything else. And partying has turned us off, though, to celebration as much as religion has. Because we tend to swing from extremes, don't we? We have a party lifestyle and we go, I'm not going to ever be caught up in that again. So we swing over here and we become people who are afraid of joy and pleasure and, and good things that God's given us. So they were celebrating. Celebrating is remembering God's goodness. They were celebrating a, a big event in life, which is a wedding. But I gave you a definition there that celebrating life's small and large moments as gifts 
gifts from God, draws us into God's joy. This is the lesson you have to take away from what we talk about today, is when you celebrate appropriately, and celebrating is remembering God, God's blessings that come in the little and the big moments of life. When we do that, it draws us into God's joy. That God is actually overflowing with joy. God in himself is happy. And he's created us for that happiness. One of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us, that when we are people who are saturated with God's presence, joy comes out of us, love comes out of us, patience comes out of us, self-control, all these virtues. And joy is a virtue, but joy is also a gift. And so here at this moment, Jesus saw people celebrating. He saw the benefits of it, and he did a miracle so that people could continue to celebrate. He turned water into wine. And not just watered-down wine. It wasn't grape juice. This was alcohol. Do you understand? Back in the first century to today, nobody would ever confuse grape juice and wine. If you've ever heard someone preach that Jesus turned water into grape juice, and that was the miracle, well... Let's just say they're, 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 they're poor Bible teachers. They're, they're, they have a poor grasp of Scripture. They have a poor grasp of culture. They have a poor grasp of a lot of things. And what they're in the grasp of is they believe that alcohol is bad, fundamentally. And that's just not an idea that you can pick up from Scripture. The misuse of alcohol is bad. Now, truth in advertising, I don't drink. So I don't have a dog in this hunt. I don't drink because I come from a family of alcoholics. I partied way too much as a kid. Uh, I don't need to, to you know, face that struggle anymore, so I just don't drink. Uh, but you can't find the posture you can't drink in the Bible. You just can't. And particularly, you can't look at this passage and make any sense of it at all with that viewpoint. So you may not be persuaded by what I just said, and I'm not trying to persuade you to drink if you don't want to drink. But I'm just trying to tell you that the Bible doesn't tell us we can't drink. It just says don't abuse alcohol. Don't abuse any good thing that God's given us. And I'll touch on that in a second more. So Israel was commanded, if you go back in the Old Testament, the whole life of Israel was structured around seven festivals every year. They went through a series of festivals, four in the spring, three in the fall. Israel was commanded to party regularly. They had to save money up to go to, if they lived close enough to the promised land, to go to Jerusalem and have a party. Now, you may think, well, oh, well, but those, those festivals were all about spiritual things. No, they weren't. Some of the festivals commemorated important events in the life of Israel where God had moved and, and had been good to them, big events. But several of the festivals were just about harvest time and the first fruits of harvest and just earthy, down-to-earth moments of their lives. And they were commanded to celebrate around the day-to-day 
moments of their life. Remember, celebration is remembering the little and the big moments of our lives as gifts from God. And so they celebrated the first fruits of harvest in the spring, and then they celebrated the the, the harvest in the fall, because there was a spring harvest or summer harvest and a fall harvest. And so they were supposed to enjoy it. In fact, one of the feasts, they would blow trumpets in the fall. They would blow trumpets during the harvest time, and all the workers had to stop working and come in to Jerusalem from the fields, and they had to celebrate. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen farmers during harvest time. Have any of you ever seen farmers during harvest time? You ever drive by late at night in the fall around here, and you see those guys in their harvest, you know, they got the headlights on, the tractors, and they're out late at night. I mean, there's, there's three kinds of, of crops during harvest time, green, ripe, and rotten. And so farmers know we worked all year for this harvest. We're not going to let any of it get ruined. And so they work like maniacs during that time. But God said, life is still not all about work. So right in the middle of harvest, they would blow trumpets and everybody had to stop and go into town and have a party for a few days. And don't you know, for farmers and for people who lived off the land, that was challenging. But God wanted them to enjoy it. Because isn't that one of the things that we struggle to do is to enjoy what we have? To enjoy the little things and the big things that God's given us? And so those seven festivals ordered Jewish life. Now here's the, here's the sad story. If you read the Old Testament or you know much about Jewish history, they hardly ever celebrated those faithfully consistently in their history. And you know the only times that they did celebrate those faithfully and consistently, if you have much of a knowledge of the Bible, was during times of real spiritual awakening and faithfulness. So celebrating all through the Old Testament was connected with people who were really alive in their faith and their love for God. And empty kind of, empty celebrating and partying was a part of, and a characteristic of a life of someone who didn't have a real connection with God. So everybody celebrates. But they're celebrating and there's partying. And partying is empty and vain. And I'll show you in a second here in this passage. And so the primary, if you go through the Bible, the primary symbol of the kingdom of God is a banquet. When the kingdom of God is described, it's described in several ways, but most frequently and most often, it is described as a lavish banquet where there's more than anybody needs provided. And and it's about enjoyment and celebration. Now, that means that we are supposed to look at the kingdom of God as a party. That our life in crisis is meant to be a life that's full. And not a life that's, you know, like we're baptized in lemon juice. But we tend to think, especially Protestants, we tend to think the more unhappy you are, the holier you are. Right? The worse you feel, the more you're pleasing to God. Nothing could be further from the truth. There is appropriate grief 
and appropriate godly sorrow. But God made us for celebration. He made us for that. And he means, means for us to choose it regularly and purposefully. So there is, uh, uh, C.S. Lewis said that joy, in, in one of his books on worship, joy is the serious business of heaven. So celebrating is part of God's will for us. You can see it in the Old Testament, you see it in the New Testament. You can't read the Gospels and not see Jesus spending a lot of time at banquets and parties. And he wasn't there kind of holding his nose at all the goings-on. Oh my gosh. Because he got a reputation as opposed to John the Baptist, who was kind of an ascetic. John the Baptist, he didn't drink wine, he didn't party, he kind of stayed out in the desert as a, you know, an Old Testament prophet type, dressed funny. Jesus, however, they didn't like John the Baptist for one reason. Then when Jesus came along and they said he's a friend of sinners and a drunkard, nobody's ever going to say I'm a drunkard because I don't drink alcohol. I mean, if you follow me in the bars or places I hang out with my friends, I just don't drink. So anybody that knows me knows that that would be you know, silly to call me that. Because I don't drink. So, if they called Jesus a drunkard, do you think he drank? He probably did. I don't think you can dispute that he drank, but he didn't ever get drunk. But he was a friend of sinners. He was a friend of people like us. And so, there's a counterfeit kind of celebration and what it does is it in focus, real celebration focuses on these little and big moments as gifts from God. And it's all about saying, God, thank you that you're involved in my life so intimately that all these, th- these aspects of my life come to me and I want to enjoy them fully. In fact, I don't just want to enjoy them. I want to celebrate them. And I want everyone to know that you are the reason that those moments in my life are so rich and so rewarding. But, but counterfeit celebration is just about using these moments as a pretext to get drunk, to carouse, to do all the stuff that's empty, that ends up causing us more pain and harm than good. And so there's counterfeit celebration. And it isn't just because you offer a prayer, but there, I think there's two ways that, that distinguish this counterfeit celebration from real celebration. And they're real simple. One is you do it out of gratefulness for God's faithfulness and goodness and that you openly celebrate Him. And you tell people, I'm having a birthday party for you know, my sister because God has been good to us by putting her in our lives. And we're celebrating His goodness for giving us her. And we're remembering her birthday as a key moment in her life. So let's pray and thank God for Betty. It's open. It's out there. Now, that's not just smearing some Christian plaster over a funky party where you're all going to get drunk either because that's the other other part of it is. However you celebrate, you have to celebrate in a way that honors God. So, you know, the, the Greek toga party part, depending on, you know... How you, how you carry that out uh, might be appropriate. Wearing a toga, is it a bad thing? I don't think so. But 
you know, I was involved in some of those kinds of parties, and, and they weren't always very sanctified. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> so, I think you have to ask yourself, is this about celebrating what God's done? And is it done in a way that I think pleases God? And it's consistent with the life of Jesus and what, what would build up the people that are here and what my kids could watch me do and it would not embarrass me or teach them something that I don't want them to do at any point in their life. Because I'll tell you something about alcohol use. is There's been a lot of research on alcoholism over the years and what they found is alcohol tends to be abused more by people who were raised in homes where it was abused or where people didn't drink at all. Do you see that? So when alcohol is used appropriately, kids who are raised in that environment, or at least they understand it, they don't tend to become abusers of alcohol. Common sense. And that's, you know, that's, that's a scriptural perception. And so celebration not only is remembering God's goodness and it has counterfeits, but it brings us into God's joy. And this is where it's a spiritual discipline. This is why it just is littered, scripture is littered with celebrating. Because when we celebrate appropriately, when we remember God's goodness to us in these little and big areas of our life, it draws us into God's joy. And sometimes we stumble into it accidentally. People celebrate, and they really celebrate with the right attitude. And maybe they're not openly saying, this is about thanking God for his goodness to us. I think that's, that's what we should always do. Because I think it invokes God's presence, and it honors him, and it welcomes him, and it, and it just sets a tone for our gathering uh, to be able to enjoy it freely. And then the Spirit of God is there in our midst, and, there, and there's joy that, that intensifies and Jesus saw that the celebrating and wine was a part of that. And he saw the party, the, 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 the celebration of this couple, and everyone in the, in the village enjoying this moment and being reminded of how important this, this, the family was and marriage and all the good things and children and life and all of that. It just grounded them in, in God and His goodness. Well, this remembering brings us into God's grace. It brings us, it draws us into His grace. That when you celebrate, the word in joy is a part of this. And you know what the word joy, that's translated joy in the Bible over and over and over? That Greek word, joy, is the root of the word for grace. Grace is charis, and the word joy in Greek is car. So joy is the root of grace. When we celebrate and we invoke God's presence on his behalf, out of gratitude for his goodness in these small and big moments of our life, 
His presence comes and we begin to experience joy. And here's some of the things it does. Joy then begins to change us and make us grateful people. I mean, we have to be reminded to be grateful. But gratefulness should come out of us just like when we're squeezed. Just, just comes out of us. Because it becomes a part of our character. But everybody knows, you have, just like you have to teach your children as they're, as they're growing up to be thankful for things. Because it's just, there's something about us and something about our culture that cultivates this sense of entitlement and this sense of taking things for granted. But let me tell you something. If you're not grateful about your last paycheck, and some of you, this time of year, there's a lot of uh, uh, job reviews going on and you know, cost of living kinds of things coming. But there is, I don't think there's too many of us in this room that I could say this safely. The paycheck you took home for your last pay period is more than about two-thirds of the people will make in a year who live in the world. So if you don't like how much you got paid, you should just sit with that for a few minutes and realize how good you have it. Now, you may not have it as good as the person who got a little bigger raise than you did this month, but you got it better than about four and a half billion other people. That's not, that doesn't make it very hard to be grateful when you think of it that way. And that's what celebrating that does, though, is it brings that home to you. It brings it home to you. Your heart, it starts sinking in. Plus, when you remember how good God's been, it develops hope in your life. Hope begins to become part of your character. And then you look at your life differently when things come your way that, are, that suck. That's a technical term, by the way. <laughs> then you don't just go, my life is over. Everything's ruined. You begin to realize, no, God, you, you see this journey you've been on and all the celebrating that you've done for God's faithfulness in these little and big ways. And you realize God is involved in my life. He's going to be involved in my life in the future. I can have hope, but it just springs out of you when you're squeezed. When life squeezes you, when you celebrate it, joy has changed your character and different things come out of you. Now, let me tell you another thing that, that, that joy does. When you practice celebrating and you begin to experience joy, you begin to find that this is a kind of spiritual warfare where when you celebrate God consistently you begin to push back spiritual oppression that is that that you're experiencing on a regular basis and you begin to find freedom to breathe and to enjoy freedom from sometimes from depression sometimes from physical ailments things that come at you that just beat you down when you celebrate because many of those those influences are spiritual. They're not natural. Over and over and over, the New Testament tells us we live in this world where there's a real spiritual uh, antagonistic force, personal evil that is antagonistic to us and comes at us 24-7. And sometimes we just think it's the traffic. We just think it's this or this person. But the New Testament tells us don't we wrestle, don't, don't just dumb down like 
a Westerner and think that all there is in the world is what you can measure in a laboratory. There's so much more to the world than that. You can't find beauty in a laboratory, but beauty feeds us. Beauty transforms our lives. And some people want to strip our world of beauty with a, a, a scientific worldview. But God says, no, there's more than that. But there's a dark side to this world. And when you celebrate, you push that back. Now, celebration, and, and to, to finish up, when Jesus turned the water into wine, he was, he was trying to primarily... Con- keep the party going, but he was also making a spiritual statement. Those huge containers that they put water in for ceremonial washing were a, a, a religious practice that the Pharisees promoted that said, you're defiled morally and spiritually, and before you can come around people, and before you can come to God, because when you celebrate, you celebrate in God's presence, they had that right, and they had it right that we are defiled and we are sinful. But what they, they thought was, if you wash your hands, or sometimes you just bathe, that that ceremonially will make you clean, and so you can approach God. Well, that's just a silly idea. And that's never prescribed in Scripture that you had to do that. It was never meant to communicate that idea, except what, what they felt was real was we all carry around guilt. We all have a sense that I'm separated from God. I'm disconnected from God. I am a cut flower. It's one of the, the most poignant pictures of what life without God is like. Is it's a cut flower. It's still beautiful, but it's just fading slowly, painfully. But Jesus, when he changed the water into wine... What he said was, first, external efforts to try to get your life together because you realize that, that God requires something more than you, of you than, than what you are doing. And you need to clean up your past. You need to be forgiven in some way. You can't do it by any work like that. And so Jesus made this profound statement that got their attention. And it was so clever and so eloquent that it got everyone's attention. Because everyone who came into those parties, they went through this washing thing. And, and I think everybody who's ever done anything that's, that, that doesn't really seem to have an impact, but you do it because it's like custom or, you know, you're, you're superstitious and, you know, you believe, I don't want to walk under a ladder, or I don't, you know, do certain things on certain days, or whatever. You're in a grip of something that you're trying to achieve a real important end, but you know you're doing something that just doesn't seem to work. Why am I doing this? Because I don't have anything better in its place. Jesus came along and showed them, if you put your faith in me, I will, that, your faith in me will cleanse you of what hand-washing can't do. And then the symbol, wine is always a symbol of joy all the way through the Bible. It's a symbol of grace all the way through the Bible. And what he's saying is when you take joy and grace inside you, you experience joy and grace and your life changes. 
And in, in this simple miracle he did, it spoke profoundly to them. You know, you may come in and out of church at the vineyard or some other place. Maybe you're a guest here. The only way you can have a relationship with God and, and not be a cut flower is through connecting with God through his son, Jesus. And the, the gospel is real simple. It says if you embrace Jesus and you welcome into your life and say, Jesus, you're the only way I can know God, that you are the wine that comes into my life that makes me alive, I'm, I want to give up trying to do it on my own. I want to give up trying to become a better person so God will accept me. I believe I can be accepted by you, through you, and through what you did on the cross for me. And then, just like when you drink wine and there's a celebration of joy in your life, you feel its effects inside you, the energy. Grace does that same thing when you receive Christ into your life. And so, you know, every time you come into a gathering like this, God wants you to know He loves you, and he's pursuing you, and he wants to have a relationship with you, and that that relationship is available to you through Jesus. If you open your heart up to him and you commit your life to him, your whole life, not just part of it, not just the part that you want to hang on to that's messed up, and then you want to control the rest, you give him everything. He comes in, and he starts, he makes you a new person right there. He gives you a new start, gives you a relationship with God. So let me, let me finish. I just wanted to put that in there because that's a, a key part of this text. And we need to hear it regularly. So how do we celebrate? It's real simple. We need to celebrate three ways. We need to celebrate purposefully, regularly, and now. If we're going to celebrate, which is remembering God's goodness to us in the little and big moments of our life that draws us into his joy. If we're going to do that as a spiritual discipline, we need to do it purposefully, we need to do it regularly, and we need to start now. So, uh, come on up, Brand. When we celebrate purposefully, we have to have redeemed celebration and see it as a practice that is powerful in our life. It's not something we should avoid or just do every so often. It's something that we should purposefully get into. And then you should do it regularly. And I put in your, in your outline there, celebrate when there's a new baby. Celebrate your baby, new baby's first tooth. Right? Celebrate their first word. Celebrate their first diaper change. You know, celebrate them. There is... Right now is a good time to celebrate something. So like uh, celebrate a new job, celebrate anniversaries. You know what holidays, the word holiday was derived from holy days, anniversaries, national things, uh, coming to Christ. When people come to Christ, if, if you came to Christ and you never had a party for your friends to let them know, that Jesus changed your life and you want to celebrate that. And it isn't so you can preach to them, but it's so you can celebrate what God did for you. Uh, Levi or Matthew, one of the apostles, who was a tax collector, 
All the Gospels, well, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all described after Levi met Christ. Immediately, he had this big party where he invited all of his tax collector crazy party animal friends who never went to church and you know, didn't have any religious faith because they were outcasts. They were the tax collectors and sinners. And he invited Jesus there with them. And, and then Jesus spoke to all of them and loved them and, and, and pursued them and invited them to God. You should have a party. If you never had a party with your friends, you should have a party soon and invite your friends and say, you know, I know this doesn't sound like a great idea, but I want to I wanna have a party because God's changed my life. And I just want to give you a good time because of the difference he's made in my life. And I want to acknowledge him to all of you. Do that. It's a powerful thing. Uh, last of all, we, we need to celebrate now. So we're going to start just, we're going to end the service celebrating Jesus. We're going to end up, uh, walk out the door today celebrating. And I believe the Lord wants to show up and, and give us a taste of this joy if we will just take a hold of celebration. And again, celebration is we should, something we should do now because it's a powerful thing that, that could change our lives. So why don't you stand with me? And Brand's going to take us through 